This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. EJ Raddick was very nice to shift his schedule around because of Memorial Day and because things didn't work out for me yesterday time-wise. So thank you for being there for all of us. No, no. Listen, Don, just to be with you, it's always a pleasure. So happy to make it work. All right. So now we're going to need you to split the atom. And that is All right, what's wrong with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I did the podcast yeah. yesterday, and I'll give you my assessment, and then you can jump me like everybody else has. All right? All right. I don't need to see the stats for Campbell. All right? He got outplayed by Carey Price in the big spot. All right? And, I, and I'm not saying it's his fault, and I'm not saying that goaltending is the major issue, but they, they, they don't have championship-caliber goaltending. They don't. So, listen – they didn't get much from Matthews and Marner. They had one point in like 60 shots in seven games. You lose Tavares. You, you don't have Muzzet at the end of the series. But when you build a team, EJ, where all of your cap space goes to four players and they're all forwards, that's going to hurt you on the blue line and it's going to hurt you with quality goaltending. So it's not anybody's fault. It, it, Jack Campbell is what he is. But if you think you're winning a cup with Jack Campbell, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's not going to be good enough. And the Gallagher goal was one that he probably would have had back. And in a game seven, you can't afford to have that happen. So you can. Th- I got Alex killing me because he's a former Kings fan. 934 save percentage, 1.81 goals against average, one shutout in seven playoff games. How do you say it's his fault? Not saying it's his fault, but the difference in the series was Carey Price when it counted. And and so you can put all of your fault. You can kill. You can kill Matthews. You can kill Marner. It's the same problem Edmonton has. EJ, you can have all the great players. If you don't stop the puck in a key spot, you're going to lose. And and I think there's a lot of other issues there. But and I'm not jumping Campbell. But I I think that team needs to address their goaltending if they're ever going to be a cup contender. Fair or not. Well, I, I, that's relatively fair. I mean, I think, first of all, I would say your wife, Nancy, is probably happy because I know her affection for the Montreal Canadiens, yes. so that's a good thing. And, um, you know, I, I would say there's a number of things at play here, and I think your premise is, is correct in that when you, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, when the, when the Toronto Maple Leafs went out and signed John Tavares, I thought they created a lot of problems for themselves, and it was really not not the move to make at the time. They were really lucky to have the three high-end forwards in Matthews, Marner, and Elander. The need was going to be to figure out your situation on defense and to fill out your roster and to have cap space to do that. And it was really twofold because they brought in Tavares at seven years times 11 million to a player that was in his late 20s that's going to he, he is going to go in the other direction at some point over that contract. That's just the way it is with the athletes. And so, you know, you've now pushed all that money up front, but you've also you, you sent a little message about the way you're doing business, and your young players see that and say, hey, why would I, if I'm Matthews, Marner, and Elander, why would I take a discount going to help the team when they went out and just signed a guy for $11 million that wasn't here. So now you had to pay those guys a real heavy value to keep them. I mean, Mitch Marner's up over 10, I think he's around $10.5 million against the cap per year. Matthews is higher than that. And then you went through that whole ordeal with Nylander a couple of years ago. And in the end, you caved 
So you sent another message to say, hey, we will cave if it's the right player. So that's kind of the backdrop to all this, and it has limited them into what they can do moving forward. So I think this is a group, when you look at this team, and especially when Tavares got hurt, it reminds me of Dallas in the late 90s when they had gotten Newendike. They were ready to be a real a team that could win the Cup. Newendike gets hurt in a series. I believe it was against Edmonton, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But he gets hurt early in the playoffs. And when you don't have your second, really like that 1B, because Matthews and, and Tavares are like a 1A, 1B, now it changes the dynamic of your team, and it also changes the way opponents can attack you and to, and to defend you. So with Tavares out, that was a big change to their group. They've got a lot of money invested in those guys. Their back-end players, to me, aren't, there, aren't very good. Their defense is suspect even when everybody's healthy. And their goaltending, you know, they turned to Jack Campbell, and he was terrific this year, and he played very well in the playoffs. And they didn't lose because of Jack Campbell. But, as you point out, I think very astutely, he gave up a terrible goal. And talking to our buddy Steve Valakant about low-percentage goals, when a low-percentage goal is scored against you, you have an 86% chance to lose. And you put that in combination with, in a Game 7, if you give up the first goal you have a 75% chance to lose. Those are some heavy numbers that put Toronto on their heels in the game. They ended up giving up a power play goal. It was 2 nothing, and then it kind of settled in, and it was 3-1. I would only say this as the, as the last thing about you know this series is that I give the I give the Montreal Canadiens a lot of credit because Dominic Ducharme, I thought he was I thought he was just like drowning in the first four games with some of the things he was doing. And he figured it out as he went along. He made some adjustments. He started to lean heavily on that top four group of defensemen. And the Montreal Canadiens, they adjusted. The Toronto Maple Leafs didn't make those adjustments. And so they end up losing the series in seven games. And they've got a lot of a lot to think about now in the offseason um, for this group. So it's uh, the, some pieces are there, but they still need work. They still have work to do. And as I say to you all the time, John, the hardest work. It isn't drafting an Austin Matthews first overall. Anybody could do that when you have the pick. The hard work is figuring out all the pieces, and, and it's not an easy job. Yeah, because you got to figure out, like, is this a team that's ready and just hasn't been able to figure it out? Like, we, we had somebody tweet yesterday about how, like, Tampa kept knocking on the door and coming short. I, I just think that was a team that had the pieces. They just needed had the, needed to figure it out in the postseason, and then they finally did. I don't think that's the case with Toronto. I don't think they have the pieces. So you, you could talk about they've got to overcome this, they've got to overcome that psychologically, haven't won a cup since 67, haven't been to a final in that time, haven't won a game seven, all the history, all that Red Sox history that we talk about, the baggage. That's that's part of the reason, EJ, but most of the reason is they're, they're just not good enough. You know, regular season's right. one thing, but they're just not good enough to win a cup. You're absolutely right. They aren't, and uh, they're limited because of their own cap, the way they handle their cap in some regard. But you're right. They need more pieces. They have Matthews, who's a, a legit number one center. You know, they do have Tavares, so they're strong down the middle. Defensively, they've got Morgan Riley, who's a good defenseman. Is he, a, is he a, like a 1A legit number one guy? I don't, I'm not so sure about that, but he's a really good top pair guy. Um, but they need help there. And what's going to happen with the goaltending? Freddie Anderson's a free agent, so he's likely out of there. Jack Campbell had a good year, and I can see keeping Jack Campbell, you know, in a tandem. But you've got to find another goalie. John, I'll, I'll give you my 
what I suggested yesterday, and you know, this is a this is something that is a bigger kind of move, and I, I don't know if either team would have the the stomach for it, but it's a big move. Is that you know the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think need they need to kind of re slot their team, and by that I mean they need that number one D that you just can't find. I mean you, you draft them or you you walk into them sometimes, but that's about it. Mitch Marner makes over a you know makes about ten and a half million against the cap. You know why not talk to Columbus about getting Seth Jones yeah. and bringing Seth Jones in because you even if you sign Seth on nine million a year, that's less than Marner against the cap. You're still saving money. You're still saving about a million and a half dollars, and maybe you can get him to eight point five or something and save two million, and that would set you up with Matthews as your number one center. And Jones as your number one defender, and you save a little bit of money moving forward with your group. Um, Marner is, you know, he's two years younger than Jones, maybe two and a half years younger. He's a terrific player. But the the situation is such, he's under contract, and he's under contract for a while, and he doesn't have any no-move or no-trade protection, to my knowledge. So you're, you're able to trade him, and he'll have to go there. And for Columbus, they have to trade Seth Jones. He's yeah. going to test the market at the end of next season. They will not get a better player in return than Mitch Marner, who is still very young and someone that you can help help you with your rebuild and help you kind of you know build your group moving forward around in a in a circumstance where you know you're facing a rebuild and you've got to hire a new coach. So I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a lot to to fathom, and I, I know the Toronto Maple Leafs love Mitch Marner, and they, I know they don't want to trade him. But the reality is, if you're trying to win with the way their team is configured right now, I think it's going to be awfully difficult. And and here's another thing: they blew a tremendous opportunity this year because we're not going to have the North Division again next year, where teams are going to just kind of saunter through, and it's not you know that division was by far the least competitive of the four divisions or the least difficult. Um, so the window is going gonna, is gonna to shift. The Ottawa Senators are going to have a really good team in about two, three years. Right. Uh, there's other teams in, you know, that are good, they're going to be dealing with that are going to they're going to be difficult. Yeah, you Tampa and Florida. Exactly. You, start to, you look at it, you start to wonder as it plays out. Like even though the Leafs have good players and, and have a good group, you start to think, okay, is there ever going to be a time in the next eight, ten years where they're the very best team? I don't know. And, and another issue is Matthews, his contract comes up in, I think, three years. And I don't know for sure if he's going to sign another contract to stay there. And Nylander's contract comes up at the same time. And Morgan Riley's contract comes up next year, after the next season. So there's a lot on the plate there for uh, Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan and that group. But I would at least kick the tires on something like that with Marner and Jones because that's the only way you're going to add a really elite defenseman is to move out one of those contracts. And, uh, you know, and even I would say this, just the last thing about their, their cap situation, I don't love Jake Muzzin's contract either. He's got like three years left. He's 32 years old, and he's an injury-prone guy. He was injured right from the start of his career. So... You know, that's another five and five point six million dollars that, you know, you have to wonder about down the road. But uh you know, they've they've gone all in on some of this stuff early in the process and I think now they've got to really reassess where they're at. And I think they gotta reassess where they're at with their coach because I don't think he did very much to help them over the last few games.
Yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, talking to EJ Raddick here um, on uh, game misconduct. Uh, the other game last night, the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, tough one. You know, they lose. They hold Tampa to 15 shots, and Tampa wins the game 2-1. So they won this wild series against Florida where goals were a plenty, and now with not a lot of room and not a lot of goals, they still find ways to win. That's that's really showing just how good a team Tampa is and now stranglehold on that series going to Tampa up two games to none. But I'm sure you saw this stat, EJ, and it blows my mind. Uh, uh, Eric Hornick, who's a stat guy for the Islanders, had tweeted this out. They actually used it on the broadcast. Tampa was held to 15 shots and won since 2010. 12 of the 19 teams that were held to 15 or less shots won the game. How do you explain that? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I would imagine the only way I would explain it is those are all probably both scoring games where the team that has the fewer shots has had the lead either early in the game or at some point you know, during the game and, the other, and went into more of a, uh, a defensive mode and therefore got less shots. But, you know, that is an extremely low number. But there, you know, when you go, when you do the, the work and you go inside the numbers and you look at the good scoring chances from the, you know, from the slot area, the shots were almost equal. I think it was 6-5. So when I watched the game, I thought Carolina, they missed the net a lot of times. I thought they, uh, they turned down some good shot opportunities. And I thought they were kind of sloppy in the game. They weren't crisp. Uh, you know, I, I, their power play with the, early in the third period, they had a power play. It's one nothing, a great chance to get things tied up. And they just really they squandered the two minutes. If you go back and look through it, they didn't really get many opportunities, nor did they really uh, do many things on that power to play to create momentum even in the game. So I just didn't think it was a great performance by the, by the Hurricanes in terms of just the crispness of their play. They didn't create uh, enough uh, problems in the offensive zone for the Lightning, but you know, give the Lightning credit—they were dialed in and they played hard. And I thought Sorelli and Kalorn, and you know, those are the guys ended up scoring. I don't—I think that was deservedly so because I thought those two guys were—they were dialed in right from the start of the game. And you know, Victor Hedman is just—I mean, he's a horse. I don't know what else to say about Victor Hedman. He's one of the best defensemen I've ever seen, and uh, he comes up with a, another huge performance last night. I mean, both goals started with a Victor Hedman stretch pass to Anthony Sorelli. So, uh, you know, right now, and Vasilevsky has played well, but you've got to make it harder for him somehow. And, uh, you know, it doesn't. it's not going to be made any easier with the fact that it looks like they've lost Vinny Trocek to injury now. Yeah. And uh, that could be really, you know, that's a big loss. He's an important piece of their team and uh, hopes him on the power play. So, you know, that's a big loss. I'd like to see Roddy Brindamore maybe put uh, Acho and Natchez together. I know they had some real good chemistry during the season. Maybe that could be a way to spark their group a little bit, but they've got to figure out a way to go into Tampa now and, and create some more offense for sure. Yeah, they're going to have to do that for sure. You're right. What a tremendous atmosphere in Game 2. It's such the juxtaposition, right? Flipping back and forth Game 7 uh, to Game 2 of the Bruins and the Islanders. I mean, one one's a Game 7, all the marbles, winner take all, and then the other one's a Game 2. But what made it so weird is that you got the 550 fans in Toronto, so that didn't have much of an atmosphere. And then you go over to Boston. That was just an incredible atmosphere, an incredible game. Just the back and forth. And, you know, the Islanders are starting to shock me a little bit, EJ. Winning games when they give up the first goal, which is something they never seem to do, right? String three goals together. 
Uh, they're, they, they're, they're showing me something here. I thought that was a huge win for them. Uh, probably almost a must-have win considering everything that they would have been up against. Even even going home, still down 2 nothing against a really good Boston team. What an incredible win for the Islanders the other night. Yeah, it's a great win. And, you know, I think people just forget that the Islanders were in the Final Four last year. You know, this is a team that's been together for a long time. And, uh, you know, they're really well coached. They understand exactly how they have to play. Um, you know, they're, they're a sturdy group. They play a lot like the Bruins, actually. I think, you know, when I look at it, I say that the Bruins are a little bit better than the Outers. That's what I would say. And it's probably largely based on the fact that, you know, they've got that top line of really elite players. But, you know, when you're a little better than somebody, you know, in this league, does that really mean a lot in a seven-game series? Uh, You know, it's a tight league. And the Islanders, uh, they have two good goaltenders, and now they've gone back to Varlamov, who's had really good numbers against the Bruins this year. I thought it was a smart move by by Barry Trotz to, to, to make that decision. Um, and the Islanders have been close. So, I mean, these guys are in it to win it. There's no doubt. I and mean, they were right there last year. They went six games with the uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, if memory serves me correctly. It's five or six games. I think it was six. So, um, you know, this is a team that, uh, you know, they're going to battle right to the end. So, And it was fitting that a guy like Casey Zizekas, who hasn't scored a playoff goal since 2015, you know, one of that part of that fourth line and part of the identity of that team comes up with a big goal. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm really not surprised by anything the Islanders do. I mean, they could win the Stanley Cup this year. I mean, I, I yeah. won't be shocked. I mean, they play playoff hockey and the kind of hockey that you need to do it. I don't favor them at this point. You know, I think Colorado is is kind of the big horse that's looming out there, and I think you know they've got their hands full of Boston and. And if they were to play Tampa or Carolina, that's not going to be any easy chore. But the Islanders are in it to win it, and they know what it takes to get it done. And, you know, they're going to be a hard out for anybody. And uh, I think the Boston Bruins are going to find that out over the next uh, several days. Yeah, it's going to be pretty incredible. And, you know, I've got to, to make my ice picks. And just looking at the teams with the long layoff, how well they played in their next game, right? Boston with the 5-2 win against the Islanders after a long layoff after eliminating Washington. And you saw what Colorado did to Vegas after sitting for a long time. So tonight with Winnipeg, feels like they haven't played in forever. And with the emotional win game seven, do you think that that continues where maybe Winnipeg gets one here because it just seems like the teams with a long layoff have played much better than the teams with a short turnaround. That's a heck of a short turnaround. Win in Toronto and then immediately have to go to Winnipeg to play a game against a team that's been sitting idle. Rust versus rest, at least this year, in a very small sample, seems that rest really has helped. Yeah, as I always joke, you know, those those hated rivals, rust and rest, <laughs> bring them out every time, time of year, and they do battle. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the rest has been, it looks like it's been beneficial this year for teams. I mean, I don't think there was a worse spot than Vegas and Colorado. I mean, Vegas had to go from from winning a game seven in their building to then going to play in Colorado and playing at altitude against, you know, uh, just a dynamic juggernaut that is the that the uh, Colorado Avalanche right now. But you're right. I mean, Montreal's got to change gears quickly here. I think the difference is, I think, you know, the, the Winnipeg Jets are a really good team, but they're not the dynamic, blow-you-out-of-the-building type team on most nights like the Colorado Avalanche are. So, 
I think that, uh, you know, you have Carey Price as long as, you know, and, and if they make that move. I mean, we saw what, what Vegas did. They gave their, uh, you know, they gave Robin Leonard the start. It's a little different dynamic with the Canadians, but they do have Jake Allen, who's a capable goaltender. I would assume they'll play Price, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's a tough spot to got to, you know, go in there and turn it around and, uh, you know, get moving in the other direction again with a different opponent. But, you know, only a handful of fans at the game, so there won't be that, you know, like you saw in Colorado, once the wind started blowing against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, it was very difficult in that game for a number of reasons. And one of them was that the fan base was, was hooting and hollering throughout that game. So it'll be difficult for the Canadians, but uh, let's face it, when you've come back from three games to one and you've won the series, I'm sure that... Uh, you know, you're pretty pumped up and you're pretty excited about just being there. Yeah, uh, there's no question about that. You know, you ready for some tweets? Yeah, let's go. All right, you'll appreciate this from Derek Wozniak, who says uh, you're going to chat with EJ, and since he was a fan of the Islanders back in the day, their franchise playoff overtime record is 39-21, and 10-12 and the last 20 years, which is normal for any team. But 29-9 and before that, including 11-2 and during the cup run, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, have you ever thought about just how good they were in overtime back in the day? Yeah, I thought about it quite a bit when I think about, uh, you know, those days and going to the games and being a big fan at that time. I mean, you know, the uh, – that that Islander team, I mean, that was a special, special group. I mean, I don't know. There's just no other way to say it. I mean, they won 19 consecutive playoff series. Um, that's a record that I just can't imagine anybody's going to be able to to top in in any sport in North America, any team sport in North America, just because the dynamic of team sports and and you know in this continent are so different than they were then. So that was a special, special group. They could win any way you wanted to play. They found ways to win in overtime. They found ways to rally in games. And you know, like we we just talked about Tampa and their ability to win a, a you know a, a a kind of nastier physical game and then win a close checking game. I mean, you know, that's that's the mark of a champion. And the Islanders, uh, you know, they're one of the greatest teams in the history of this game. You know that that group. They put together that run, so yeah, it's, I, I do think about it from time to time, and I'm often amazed that you know that they were able to do it because even the Oilers team that was so great that followed them, even as great as they were, they couldn't put together the consecutive four straight cups because they had the blip against the Flames when they had the kind of fluky goal that went in off Grand Fury skate. Steve Smith was trying to pass it from behind the net. There was 10 minutes left in that game against Calgary, and they couldn't figure out a way to get it tied and, and, and kind of rally. So, you know, it's even more amazing that other great teams haven't been able to do that over the course of the history of this game. So uh, it was a special group. Ozzy um, asks, did Vegas unintentionally get a boost by Reeves being suspended? He's a liability on the ice due to lack of speed, and his ability to hit only comes into play during scrums. Last year, he nearly cost the Knights the Vancouver series with the late game seventh major. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny because Evander Kane, who is a, uh, is a, is a, is a foe, a, uh, a foe of uh, Ryan Reeves quite often in their, in their battles when they play against one another, he tweeted out kind of half jokingly, I guess in his mind, that the way the best, you know, really, 
suspend Ryan Reeves and the, and, and injure the Golden Knights was to force him to play 20 minutes a game. Huh. Like, don't suspend them. Force them to play them, like, at least 20 minutes. And, you know, I, you know, those two guys go after each other, so I'm not surprised that there'd be a remark like that from Levander. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan Reeves uh, is a big, heavy, physical player, and, you know, he can get in on a forecheck and create problems in the offensive zone. And, you know, he's one of their identity guys on their – fourth line that Peter DeBoer likes to use in different situations. So it's not like losing Alex Petrangelo or or Mark Stone for sure. And I think they'll be able to get through it. But I you know, when his suspension is up, he's gonna be back in the lineup with that tell and that tells you that Peter DeBoer feels like he's one of the twenty best players on any given night to help right. them win. So I guess in those in the role that he serves, they'll miss him, but I thought he went way above and beyond what he what he should have done in the scrum and I'm really uh, you know, from from a an observer, I, I'm really uh, I think it was a good idea to suspend him for the two games. I might have suspended him longer because I thought it was pretty above the uh, you know over the edge to to kind of drive the head of Ryan Graves into the ice like that when he was defenseless at the bottom of a scrum. But you know that's another discussion. Uh, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Sal says Sean Avery's oh. hockey analysis and breakdown on Instagram are fantastic. Do you think TNT would take a chance on him as an in-studio talent? Listen, I'm not going to speak for TNT. I mean, they're going to do whatever they want to do to help their broadcast. I wouldn't hire Sean Avery if uh, you paid me a lot of money because <laughs> I don't think he's a reliable person. I think that uh, you know he's on his own path all the time, which is always fine. But, uh, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and to say and do what they want. But you know, I've heard just too many, too many stories about uh, from players and former te- former teammates that, you know, um, you know, for me, I would never hire them. So that's just me. Well, I, I listen. I, I, I the reason I said I was on the fence about it is because I, I do think he has some very interesting observations. He's controversial. You know, everybody's looking for that Charles Barkley, the guy that's going to say whatever, say anything. So I do think he would create a buzz. But the problem is. To your point, I don't know how passionate he is about the sport. You know, and when you talk about just unreliable, I just don't know if he would – listen, I'm not calling him lazy, but I just don't think he's passionate about the sport of hockey to do the work necessary to be a good analyst. It's one thing to have uh, observations when you feel like it on social media, but on a day-in, day-out trying to break down things when I just know that he just doesn't love the sport. I mean, that that's really the nicest thing that I could say about some of the relationships and some of the things. We've had conversations with him, EJ. I mean, this is somebody that I always felt kind of he looks down on the sport almost, like he's above the sport of hockey, the way that he kind of looks at it. Almost, I almost got the sense like when he was in it, he felt like he was slumming it. He, he, he was always into other things, as which you said is fine. He's this he, has nothing to do with his, his his political beliefs. It has nothing to do with the fact that he wants to do other things. That's great, but I never felt he was all in on the NHL, and I don't know how that makes for a good anal- analysis on television. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, we I remember we interviewed him like when he was in L.A. and he was trying to get out of L.A. and this was mm-hmm. a long time ago, Don. I don't know if you would remember it, but he was. Just I think we were in Dallas. We were in Dallas. For the All-Star yeah. game, and he was back in New York in our studios at Sirius XM, and we interviewed him from afar. He was in the studio. We were in Dallas. Yeah, and he was very critical of L.A. and just life in L.A. and the people in L.A. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, 
Uh, I thought Sean was a helpful player when he played. Uh, and I know, you know, I, I like to have, you know, like in, in, in life, maybe, and really in hockey, I've noticed over the years, you know, we want honesty from players. We want opinions. We want personality until we get them. And then we're not happy, right? I mean, so, you know, I don't ever mind personality. I just think that, you know, I just think that, you know, there's some guys that are, you know, that are, that are walk down the street and the sun is always shining and they may say a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, you feel comfortable that, you know, you can feel comfortable with them. And I, I with Sean Avery, I just don't know what to expect from that guy. And, and like I said, I've heard too many stories from too many people that I yeah. respect over the years and he just kind of goes his own way. And, you know, you talk about, you know, looking for someone like Charles Barkley. First of all, you're never going to find anybody like that because, He's, a, you know, one of the all-time great basketball players, you know, to play in the National Basketball Association. And he's got a huge kind of big personality, and he's just one of those guys where the sun is shining a lot in his life. And I think you realize that when you're around him. And he's got big opinions about things that are important. And where you may disagree with those opinions, I think that, you know, I, I think he sees them as serious subjects and treats them that way. So... You know, again, I'm not here to protect Charles. He said a lot of things that I think are a little bit, you know, crazy as well. Yeah. But, you know, I guess the fact that we're talking this long about it tells you that there's controversy there, but I just don't think – I would say this. I don't think the National Hockey League would look with favor on any of their broadcast partners hiring Sean Avery to to give him a platform to talk about their game. But Probably not. There's, there's, I guess, my final thing I'll say about it. All right, I, I know you got to run, uh, but uh, and I know I kind of hit you with this every couple of weeks, but I still think it's topical. Topical. What are you hearing about right. the team that comes out of the North? Any, any new information on how Winnipeg or Montreal will be able to move into the third round? Well, it looks like they're, you know, especially as things are are opening up, certainly here in the U.S. and then a little bit in Canada. There's discussion now. There's been many, several reports. I think Elliot Friedman had a report about it that, you know, the league and and the Canadian government are working towards a possible exemptions that would allow for teams to fly back and forth. So those teams might be able, despite what we might have thought earlier, and it goes to show you again, as we've talked about, Don, the world is changing. It's spinning every day. There's something, you know, you, you have to understand where we are in time. Sitting here today on June the 2nd will be different from where we are on June the 28th or July the 15th. So it seems like there's some movement there. It might be possible to do, and if so, that'll be great. So we'll just have to continue to watch and see, but there's no doubt the league is feverishly looking at this because the clock is ticking, and uh, we're getting to a stage where in another 7 to 10 days or thereabouts, we're looking at uh, a semifinal where that that's going to be a reality and they're going to have to deal with it. So my little tease to my wife, Nancy, that maybe, hey, who never know, maybe the, maybe the Canadians will play their home games at Madison Square Garden. That, that probably is not going to happen. Starting to fade, yes. I would say <laughs> right now, like on the meter, you know, on the needle that bounces back and forth, the needle, the needle is kind of near yeah. zero right now, but you know, could bounce the other way again. I just thought, like neutral site, they, it's not that far away. It's a five-hour drive. They're not, they're not going to play in Boston. I don't think they'd have it there, you know. But I, so I was just kind of fantasizing for her or Newark or someplace like that. But you know what? They got to get through Winnipeg first before it's an issue. And as you said, we that series could take us to the next couple of weeks, and the world can be a completely different place two weeks from now. So let's just hope Correct. for the best. Correct. All right, buddy. Listen, right. it's always I a agree. lot of fun. I agree. 
Thank right, you so friend. much for this. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you on Monday. Talk to you next week. See ya. All right. That is the great, and I mean the great EJ Raddick. A lot of great things on Toronto. A lot of great things about uh, Sean Avery. And you can kind of throw anything at him, and he's got some just tremendous things to say. All right. So we've got that series getting underway as round two is now finally all done. We've got all our teams that are left thanks to the Canadians game seven win over the Toronto Maple Leafs. So now Winnipeg and Montreal can get things going in the peg. 7.30 on NBC Sportsnet, and that'll set up a double header on NBC Sportsnet as game two between Vegas and Colorado will get underway. And my guess would be that Flurry's back in. I'm not going to say that Vegas mailed in the game, but a great chance to give an older player that you're going to really rely upon in Flurry. Uh, the night off in a really tough spot having to play that game seven at home and then go to Colorado, rarefied air, and play that game one. And certainly they were blown out. I would expect a much more competitive game tonight as Vegas looks to even up that series at one. And as far as Winnipeg and Montreal is concerned, like I said, you look at Boston, you look at Colorado, the teams with the long layoff had a great Great opportunity to win their next game. So I would expect Winnipeg to draw first blood. But, hey, with Carey Price, you never know. He could stand on his head and even things up. And, boy, if Montreal were to steal game one. You know, all the talk about Toronto blowing the 3-1 series lead, you know, you forget that Montreal did win game one against Toronto. And that kind of set the tone to give them the opportunity to still be able to fight back, win those three in a row, and then capture the series in seven. So those are the two games. We'll be back with you again on Friday. We'll be able to recap the games tonight and also the games that are coming up on Thursday as well. And we'll have um, our show coming up on Friday. The Bruins and the Islanders will play their game three after a couple of days off for travel. And then we'll have the game three with the Lightning and the Hurricanes as Carolina is going to try to fight back into that series. Islanders, Bruins, even at a game apiece, Tampa with a 2 nothing series lead on Carolina. And then Friday we'll get back to Montreal, Winnipeg, and Colorado, Vegas for those um, the game two in Winnipeg and game three uh, in Vegas. So back with you again on Friday. Want to get in touch with me? The best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll talk to you again on Friday. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.